One Week Season. OWS fam, welcome back to this week's installment of the Reflection Pod. I'm your host, Beefritz12, and here we are on the back of week 12. We had Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, let's just jump into the things here. Throw this baby on 1.5 and let's roll. All right. So, as you know, if you've been here, which you probably have been um, because we're at week 12 and things probably aren't changing a whole lot in terms of personal processes. Uh, but yeah, so you'll know that we talk about a little bit high level strategy type stuff first, just kind of general reflections on the week, talking all things DFS and just NFL happenings. We will move into fluke or fail, which is taking a look at Players that scored 30 plus points on DraftKings this week, which wasn't many this week. Interesting section today. Uh, and then we will do some lineup reviews at the end. <laughs> I realized last week that I mentioned at the beginning that I was going to share one of mine. And towards the end, I was like, nah, never, I'm just going to go ahead. And you know, I talked high level. We're just going to go into these guys into the binks. Um, but I am going to share uh, a Really nice lineup that I had this weekend, although there were some caveats as to how nice, um, which you'll you'll see as we go along. But with that, uh, yeah, let's jump in to just I mean, this is kind of a weird pod, weird week, because it feels like we almost have two weekends to review. Um, So I have separate thoughts from each slate. I have some kind of overarching thoughts. I will treat this mostly as if it were one weekend and just multiple slates, which I guess is what it was. But uh, yeah, just acknowledging that sometimes Thanksgiving can feel like a a week in its own. But yeah, so lots of football. Uh, JM talked a little bit last week about fatigue and how this is a great week to stay sharp and stay on top of your process and I'm just going to throw out there that this is a very sharp take. It's also very difficult. (laughs) Um, So I myself was somebody who like I just couldn't do that this week. And part of it was choice. Also, um, Thanksgiving was a disaster for me uh, because I went bills over stacks. I basically just went all in the way that I looked at that game slash slate playing out was that the I I thought that all the teams had a shot at like three or four touchdowns, whereas the Bills had a shot at like five or six. Now, what I didn't take into consideration was the fact that Josh Allen definitely looks hampered by that elbow and that the Lions definitely seem to have turned a bit of a corner over the past few weeks and tightened things up. So, yeah, did not go well there. And yeah, you know, because I share everything here, um, you'll know that the, you know, like I really haven't had too many good weeks. I've had a couple good lineups here and there, um, but not any 
um, not a, not a ton of great weeks here. So the the overarching feeling after Thanksgiving was ugh, like I just I felt the exhaustion. I felt that fatigue. I just wasn't in it um, mentally from there. And now one of my favorite strategies when this happens is just to go light, which, by the way, I should also mention that I've got a couple days off and I've mentioned a few times on here, uh, we, we've got our first kid on the way. We're only a few weeks out from that. So having like a, a long weekend and um, just some extra time to relax and kind of get out of a normal routine and, um, you know, just enjoy some time with my wife before baby comes and get ready and all that stuff. It just felt really good to not force anything and not to fill all that extra space with with things to do. And DFS is still mostly something to do. While it's enjoyable, it is still, um, you know, it, it fills up a lot of time. So it felt really good to say, you know what, I'm just going to scale back after Thanksgiving. That felt really brutal. Um, and, you know, not just that slate, but, you know, like I said, a handful in the past handful of weeks. So she's like, yeah, I'm gonna take a break. And that's been my strategy when that happens. And that's, I always offer that to people as well. It's just like, don't, I think there's a couple of ways to handle this, but my favorite way is to um, basically do like no research or anything. This is, I mentioned this because this is kind of the opposite of what um, I know that JM has uh, offered as a strategy in the past where he's basically said, do all your research as normal and just don't play or play like super, super light. And I actually do the opposite. And what I do is don't research at all. <laughs> um, so don't spend any time doing that whatsoever. Like literally don't even do my first look, which if you have been around, you'll know that that's kind of the most foundational element of my process is my first look at games. Um, so didn't even do that and basically just go into the week, take a look at my phone for, you know, really short periods of time, 15 minutes or half hour. Uh, this weekend, I literally threw in lineups like within the last 45 minutes before lock and just see what comes together. So this is without doing anything, anything, without uh, looking at pricing, without creating a player pool. I had a very, very high level idea of the games on the slate. I think I had read JM's uh, like angles email, but otherwise didn't like no other content consumption and really just like, like I said, took it easy, had a high level view of games, knew kind of generally what I felt about them, but didn't do any detailed notes from there, took those few minutes and just cranked out some lineups. And I know Jam has mentioned this before too. And uh, not so long ago this season, I think on one of the winner circle pods where he was just talking about, uh, I believe it was like with flash drafts and even some stuff uh, that he did with underdog, like trying to get in bets before uh, they, they like realized that the line was bad and switched it. And just being able to pull the trigger on this 
like your your gut feeling in the moment, but gut feeling not based on impulse, based on this kind of stored knowledge and understanding that you have, kind of a, a more subconscious layer of um, of knowledge. And I generally do uh, relatively well on weeks like this, which is always really frustrating because the amount of skin in the game is, you know, substantially less than on a normal week. So uh, when I do hit on these weeks, it feels a whole lot less sweet because, you know, it's like, well, if I had my whole uh, allocation in there this week, uh, be quite a bit nicer. So anyways, that's kind of the the overview of um, what I kind of what this split weekend looked like for me, these two big chunks. Uh, these two halves of week 12 looked like. So I'm going to take this a couple different ways. I am going to review um, a lineup that I really liked later, but I first want to stay high level here. And one of the things I keep coming back to is DFS is hard. And I actually kind of like the idea of saying this every week and maybe even, you know, I feel like this is almost could be a segment of the pod in and of itself and or it's just a um, like a quick little tidbit here. But some of the stuff I'm going to share here is. Because I feel like one of the like the most value that I can offer on this pod is not just to share kind of my process and my thoughts, but just the reality of the situation, right? Like that is the beauty of not having a name to uphold here. Like I'm just a guy, right? <laughs> like at least to um, all of you listening, I, you know, I'm not a not a DFS pro. I don't play high stakes. I'm not a uh, a guru. Like none of that stuff. And the beauty of that for me is that I can just be really real, and I don't have to. Uh, I don't have a. I don't have an image to to uphold. It just doesn't matter. And I think that's really valuable because not only can I talk openly, but because I think that. Something that is really important in life, but here in LWS and and DFS is healthy commiseration. Now, just really quickly, commiseration to me, you know, I'm not a woe is me individual. Um, Don't love, don't love a victim mindset. So that's not what I'm talking about here, but I think. I really think it can be beneficial to, you know, when I'm feeling down on a week, um, to to hear somebody else be like, who who I respect, be like, oh yeah, I was, you know, this was a struggle or this was hard. You know, I saw even like X uh, commented. Uh, I'm trying to think of what channel. I think it might have been the Reflection Channel since that's where I spend um, most of my time, but. He even mentioned in there like DFS is hard. I've you know Josh Jacobs, uh, I forgot what it was like fifty percent or something like that, and I you know wasn't even close to a bink and just two x or I don't know. I don't the, the dumb numbers and stuff there are way off, but the general idea is 
hey, DFS is hard. And I just think that's very valuable. It sounds kind of silly because it's like, okay, well, that's not very productive, right? Like we aren't learning anything there. We aren't getting better by saying that. But DFS is a mental, emotional game. And if we don't have a space to kind of regulate that mental, emotional state, it's difficult because that stays pent up within us. And that kind of just bounces around and we stay stuck in that negative state. So I really hope that uh, you can use this podcast as kind of a, hey, let's come here, talk about how, you know, things are tough and leave with knowing that we've we've like been able to let that go and move on and get better because we do that part as well. Right. Um, But this is one of the things that I was thinking of when I was, uh, you know, just kind of like jotted down one of my notes was this term healthy commiseration. So, uh, yeah, just just one thing there. Um, Another thing that I thought of this weekend, this is kind of a much, much bigger question. This feels like a the equivalent like, you know, this question is to DFS what the question uh, why am I here? What is my purpose is to life? <laughs> and, and and I want to preface this by saying this is a very sincere question. I'm not, this is not a self-deprecating question. This is not a, I'm not shaming myself here. Um, not whipping, you know, a, a public like, uh, you know, thrashing or anything like that. This is truly a question that came across my mind after the Thanksgiving slate. And that was, am I or do I have what it takes to be a profitable DFS player? Do I have what it takes to be a profitable DFS player? Now, to give some context to this question here, what I mean by this, and I think this is probably what it is for a lot of you, but I want to just bring up, you know, sharpen this to a point so that uh, you know where I'm coming from. I've always wanted, you know, always meaning the past few years where I started taking DFS seriously. I've always wanted DFS to be a bankable source of income. Um, you know, JM talks about this, uh, you know, DFS as as a part of our lives as a whole. And, you know, obviously he has a lifestyle where he writes for half of the year and plays DFS for half of the year and creates content, obviously. And he's able to sustain himself that way. And he kind of uh, really encourages others and, and wants to empower others to live a lifestyle that suits them and not necessarily be tied to a nine to five grind. Um, so a not only a financial independence, but also a time independence and being able to do something that you, you know, actually give a shit about. Um, and I've always felt exactly that same way. And so for for those of you that don't know, I was self-employed for um, basically the last decade up until earlier this year in February. And so for me, this was 
always kind of the dream, right? Was to to do my my coaching, um, but then to do this as a another piece of um, the income stream puzzle, and and that was that's always been the goal. And so this question came up, <laughs> and it was sort of interesting because I I I wasn't like consciously thinking; it was just this this voice that popped into my head and this question and it was really interesting to me because it made me stop and think and here's here's kind of like what it made me think about because I want to uh I want to hash out some specifics here I want to hash out like kind of what this what path what thought path this led me down and kind of what I arrived at for myself. First and foremost, I questioned if this is actually what I want out of DFS at this point in my life. And right away, this is very productive in terms of a thought experiment, because when... Essentially, we end up in places that we don't love in our lives when we don't define clear goals or not even goals as much as um, general aims. The way I look at it and the way I've talked about it in my coaching practice was uh, like, are are you walking down the, the right path? Do you know kind of where this path is headed or are you just kind of, you know, on your phone and zoned out and that's just where you're autopiloting? And so, so many people don't have clarity on what they want in life. And so they end up, you know, 20 years down the road with a kind of meh life. Uh, But so in DFS, it's the same deal, right? Like we we have to define, and JM talks about this a ton as well, um, which by the way, all of his kind of like early courses are really great (laughs) for, for those of you that like the the you know really in the weeds with dfs stuff and and process and things like that but also kind of an extrapolation to life and bettering yourself and your direction um, and getting what you want out of your life as a whole uh really suggest grabbing those and checking those out because they're very good and uh we have a lot of similar beliefs in the way that we see things in that way and kind of how we um teach it so but so for me, like this was really interesting to consider because when something is always a goal for us, it's easy to just stick with that and assume that that's always what I'm going to want. And I, you know, I'm at the point now where I'm about to start a family and I, like I said, I'm employed now. I have more financial stability than I did before. And it's just a good situation. I'm I'm getting paid well. I have you know I work from home, and uh, I just I don't I don't know that I need at this point in my life at least the this idea of like DFS to be a bankable source of income. And so it's kind of like this thought of like what if DFS is more just fun to me? And now I'm a huge proponent of DFS can be both things, very much so. And I'm not, 
I don't even have a, a full answer on this for me, but it was really interesting to consider that and kind of be like, oh, well, what, what would that look like? And so I drilled in a little bit and, you know, I was like, I, I love DFS. I love it because it's just this never ending puzzle, right? Like that's why we come back each and every week. If you wanted to get rich or make a lot of money or even have a side hustle, there are much easier ways to make money. Um, so most of us, if we're coming back and coming back repeatedly, consistently, it's because we actually really, really enjoy the nuts and the bolts of DFS. On the flip side for me though, I feel that I just kind of struggle with the the dollar signs. And as I talked about recently, being disciplined, like I always kind of um, err on the side of like, ah, I want to play like a little, little bit more. Ah, I want to play this like higher dollar contest. And now I'm not irresponsible by any stretch of the imagination. I don't, you know, I'm not going way over my, my bankroll or, or anything like that, but it's enough where I question that I have what it takes to make truly plus EV decisions when it comes to contest selection, when it comes to just like every single bet, you know, JM's talked about this recently in the winner's circle too. And I, I absolutely loved this. I think it was last week, maybe the week before, but he's talking about finding little edges everywhere um, and how important that is. And that is the thing that I feel like I just don't have nailed down. And so what I am considering is like, is that something that I really want to put in the work to be better at? Or is that okay right now? It Like, should I kind of let go of that and just have, you know, focus on the fun side of things a little bit more and focus on all these other things that are really going well in my life <sighs> rather than try to push something just because it used to be a goal of mine. And what I want to point out here is if any of this resonates with you, <laughs> I just want to point out that being profitable in DFS is simple from a theoretical standpoint. You find edges, you place your bets, and there you go. Like long term, you're a profitable DFS player. But it's actually very difficult to do this as a human with emotions. And maybe this is why X is so good, since he's a robot. Uh, <laughs> kidding. Um, but but seriously, this is... <clears throat> I really think this is the difference. I talked about this recently, too. I really think this is the difference between what makes the standout DFS players... Uh, or the very successful DFS players be exactly that and what they are. Whereas the vast you know, majority of the field the, really struggles to find that or get to that point, at least the people who are, you know, trying to get there and, and not just throwing in a random, you know, handful of lineups into the milli or whatever. It's really, really hard. So 
consider that, digest that, and just know that being profitable is simple from a theoretical standpoint, but it is difficult to do practically. Now, here's where where I start to um, just throw some stuff out there that I thought was kind of interesting and is more my opinion than anything else. And so, you know, somebody could easily disagree with this and it would be very valid. But some things that I at least wanted to share again, you know, more of just like processing my own thoughts, but um, also for you to create your your own thoughts around this and and or I should say uh, kind of a, a thing to compare yourself against and see see where you find yourself in this uh, on this spectrum, so to say. So. I believe that you can be a sharp DFS player without being a profitable one. Okay, so I do think it's important to point out that I still believe that a truly sharp DFS player will, or at least can be, profitable over time. But I think the difference here is that the time horizon changes, that it can be drawn out in this case. Because just because you're sharp, you may be profitable in the long term, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be profitable in these shorter time windows. You might have more ups and downs. So an example of this would be that in general, you create plus EV lineups, but with a less than optimal contest selection. You might just be breaking even or even be down year after year until eventually you hit a massive win in, say, you know, five years from now that does, in fact, make you profitable over that time period. Whereas I kind of feel like a truly profitable player probably finds a way to cut their losses and be you know, profitable in the short term and have that big hit at some point down the road too, which really then jacks their profitability up. Now, in order to judge this, we would need a truly sharp and profitable DFS player. So uh, anybody, anybody, um, Bueller. So, yeah, I, I think this is something that I'm going to continue to think about because I do believe that I am a sharp DFS player. I've had enough um, evidence to back that up in terms of placements and attorneys and uh, over, you know, over time as well, like over the past handful of years. But I question, as I mentioned, to start this, my ability to be truly profitable or at least as profitable as I could be. So do you see do you see what I'm saying here? My level of profitability doesn't match my sharpness. Yeah? Yeah. I feel like uh there will be people that don't agree with that, but 
it kind of makes sense to me, but I'd be very open to uh, opinions, anybody that wants to engage on this, because I think this will just help us all uh, really, yeah, figure figure this out and figure out where we're at and how we can be better. So yeah, basically to kind of uh, distill it down, to me, a sharp DFS player builds plus EV lineups the majority of the time. Foundational to profitability. However, a truly profitable DFS player allocates bankroll and selects contests in a calculated plus EV manner. Very, very distinct skill sets, abilities, etc. All right, so I'm a huge proponent of uh, questions <laughs> to to reflect on. So some of the ones that I came up with here were, and and this can be done at really any scale. So whether this is on a single slate, whether this is at the end of a week, whether that this is you know, quarterly in terms of the, you know, throughout the season, every five NFL weeks or whatever, or yearly, any, any of that stuff. These questions are truly just to um, help assess and help reflect. Number one, am I playing for profitability or for fun? There's nothing wrong with either of these. And I think it's kind of ingrained in those of us who take DFS more seriously and do truly want to be profitable, that the the fun piece isn't as important. And again, it doesn't matter where you fall on the profitability or, you know, and fun scale. And again, I think you can do both of those at the same time, but I think there is a specific way that you choose contests and allocate bankroll, et cetera, um, depending on what your true goal is. So to me, it's just about being honest about where we're at and understanding the difference. Another question, number two, what might JM or any of the OWS fam say about this lineup strategy, general approach, Etc. The reason I came up with this one was because that we often underestimate our ability to coach ourselves. I've had clients say to me in the past, I know you would tell me X, da 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 da. And I just sit there and it's like, yep. So there you go. Uh, you don't need me anymore, but I'm not going to tell you that. Um, no. So I, I really think that's beneficial because we rarely frame things like this. And so, again, I, I mean, I came up with this like for myself too, um, to say, to look at my lineups, you know, on, on a given weekend or slate or whatever and say, what would one of these guys say if they were looking at it? So something to consider there. And then third, do I need to reallocate my bankroll or contest selection for this week based on how I'm feeling and what the slate is giving me? Now, I think this is, I really think that contest selection is 
the crux of what makes a profitable DFS player. And I think that profitable DFS players choose select contests far better than the field. And that's why they're profitable. You have to be sharp, yes, but contest selection is just so, so important. And so with with this, I think it's very, very important to consider how rigid or flexible you are in your bankroll allocation on a weekly standpoint. I've, I've talked about this uh, already this season in terms of like, let the slate come to you. And, uh, you know, if you don't like a given main slate or you don't like a given afternoon slate, don't play it, play it light, you know, still, still work the muscle, but don't put all, uh, you know, as many eggs in that basket as you, as you normally would. I think a lot of us just get locked into like, these are the contests I play every week, no matter what. And I, I think there's some benefit to that too. You get used to playing for a certain contest. You get used to how that field plays. So uh, there is no silver bullet to me, but I think it's important to at least ask this question on a weekly basis and say, am I doing what makes sense for my play style, where I'm at mentally, emotionally this week, and what the slate is offering? So there we go. That is the conclusion of uh, this big, long segment today that I was actually pretty excited to talk about because I think it's I think it's really interesting. And, you know, just to come full circle, uh, it's it's powerful when you can engage yourself, (laughs) much less uh, other humans uh, in these conversations without any real emotion attached to it. You know, there was no sense of like, oh, I've failed if I don't become a profitable DFS player, if I change that goal. That's, you know, that's not it. I just, I acknowledge that if if I am kind of shifting directions a little bit, then that's just where I'm at and that's okay. Uh, so I just really wanted to reiterate that part of it um, for yourself. And, and again, this goes for anything in life. If you can approach yourself with compassion and kind of growth points and having honest conversations with yourself instead of um, shaming or berating yourself uh, or being extra hard on yourself, you're always going to learn more and the experience is going to be uh, more enjoyable. And again, this way of this approach can also be used then to uh, (laughs) conversate and relate with other human beings in a really positive plus EV way. Okay. 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 So we've got this. I I feel like this is like the largest thing I've ever talked about uh, in the DFS space before. Like I said, it's like this, you know, instead of the life's greatest questions, it's DFS players questions. Uh, so let's, let's shift gears a little bit and I'm going to zoom in more specifically to, uh, play style strategy, how this week went for me. Something I noticed was that on, this is particularly after the Thanksgiving slate that 
I'm not great at building a portfolio of lineups. Now, this is something that JM talks about quite a bit, right? Uh, for those of you that are, you know, OG OWS peeps that have been around a while, when JM was playing the Wildcat and he was sharing his approach and how he built this block of rosters. And he's, you know, he still talks about this stuff, but it was really, really um, kind of front and center a few years ago and how all of these rosters played off of each other. And so rather than trying to nail down plays or guys, uh, instead it was how can this block of rosters succeed? So if, if one guy fails or the way this roster is built fails, then just, you know, if I'm right on this larger bet, then this other roster has to do well, essentially. And now being a, you know, uh, like mainly single entry three max player, I've never really had to build a portfolio of lineups, basically, because even when, you know, building a few different lineups, they're usually betting on slightly different things. Um, there's, you know, usually the overarching things that I see from week to week that I'm, you know, placing my bets on are similar, but the rosters aren't a true block. Um, they, they aren't playing, you know, they're not a portfolio. I really think that's the best way of looking at it. And I'm, I think that's a word I took from JM. Um, but for me, <laughs> I get a little too hung up on conviction plays or how I see things playing out. And this is definitely, this can be good, but for me or anybody like me, uh, it can be a bit of an Achilles heel or kind of a, a leak from a, uh, a sharp, you know, plus EV standpoint. So what I like, what I noticed here, so to use this slate as the example is I could not get past the fact that I was like, there is no better bet this week than saying, like betting on the Bills offense. I really just thought they had a far better chance than any other offense and a, uh, you know, relatively dis uh, not distributed, <laughs> um, narrowly, narrowly distributed is what I was looking for there, uh, way that they spread, spread the ball around. So to me, Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, and Gabe Davis as a block against this porous, what had been, uh, really rough, you know, cheat code Lions defense was just like a no-brainer in terms of the floor and ceiling that it offered. Because yes, there's going to be guys, other guys in that Bills offense who score, but for the most part, it is Diggs and Gabe Davis. And now I know, you know, like Hilo pointed out a little bit about Stefan Diggs and how, um, you know, his his snap percentage and stuff was down. You know, I think it's those things do matter. But on a slate like this, uh, he was truly just, you know, the from a floor and ceiling standpoint, you know, more specific, specifically a ceiling standpoint just stood head and shoulders above everybody else to me. And so I really wanted to be 
on this block of players and was one that I felt that regardless of results, I would feel good about this being a plus EV bet because at the end of the day, these other teams, they, you know, three touchdowns is probably about where they're hitting. Whereas this bills team can hit, you know, five or maybe even six. And then if most of those points are going through these three guys where on some of these other teams, points are spread out a little bit, you know, even like the lions, if you think they're going to play back against the bills, you know, I'm on Ross St. Brown and then Jamal Williams, like those are, those are the guys. And then it's getting spread out a bunch after that. So that's just kind of where I was stuck this slate. And I don't regret that at all. Uh, but I did get to <laughs> reckon with uh, that not going according to plan and being able to see if I if I still felt the same uh, relative to the results because, man, that was brutal. But that's really kind of what was what stuck out to me there is that and I think again I'm not saying it was a mistake on this slate for me in terms of how um, I play but it was just obvious that I'm I'm not great at building a portfolio of lineups and I felt this a little bit the previous week as well when I had um, we talked a little bit last week about how I had four tickets to um, the qualifier for the FanDuel uh, WFFC tournament. Um, and even those, like I did not build those as a block. I built those as general overarching bets and then things that were, um, slightly different on that. So anyways, that's more of just a, a, a noticeable thing for myself. And I mean, I think for anybody is important to really look at and pay attention to. And and again, just try to really figure out what your play style truly is and what you should stick to and what you maybe should try to get better at. And so for me, this is something I actually do want to get a little bit better at because I think um, the ability is there and I generally am pretty sharp in terms of my high level bets. Um, but a lot of times my losses are coming because it didn't hit exactly the way I thought, but I also didn't have anything built out to, um, account for this other way of it playing out. So a lot of times I end up at the end of a week being like, damn, I was, I was right on the main stuff, but it just hit a little differently than I was accounting for. And therefore I didn't win anything, you know, or, you know, not much, so it feels like a leak for me. It feels like a place that I do want to get better. And that actually leads into my next point was that uh, I did do this a little bit better on Sunday. So oh, barely, by the way, this is a very small change. But um, basically, I went and the afternoon slate. I know this is switching gears a little bit. Like I said, kind of a weird weekend here, but um, an afternoon slate I I went Herbert stacks, so uh, I was really overstacking that game, and so I was going Herbert and three pass catchers. So um, Palmer was a lock on each one of those, and then I was rotating between Keenan Allen, DeAndre Carter, and 
uh, Gerald Everett. So um, I, I built some uh, kind of <laughs> built some lineups where, you know, basically that the swap was DeAndre Carter and a uh, Josh Jacobs and Keenan and somebody else. Forgot who it was. I can look at my lineups to see who that was. But um, so I was able to to account for different things, and my Josh Jacobs hit. And so that's just again, it's like little growth. It's something small. It's by by no means this is some big thing. But for me, it was it was a good thing to to see that change a little bit and to to immediately see how beneficial that was. Now, what sucked is the fact that in this two lineup block here, so not really a block, but these lineups that were playing off of one another, I had the the Josh Jacobs lineup in the smaller dollar, smaller field contest. So while I blasted the competition and easily got first place there, uh, if I'd had it in my other lineup, or excuse me, in the other contest, I would have won third place and for a much better payout. <laughs> so the, the difference, because I did this actually on DraftKings and FanDuel, I did the same exact thing. And so... Uh, word to the wise here, if you're going to play different buy-in levels and field sizes, then alternate those so that, you know, if one hits that way or if it hits like the way it did, you you win one, you lose one instead of, you know, losing both of them. And um, yeah, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I think you might get what I'm saying. But basically, I ended up having like a, a 2x uh, instead of what would have been like a 15x payout. So uh, yeah, def- definitely a bummer there. And again, it's one of those things where it, like, it hurts almost just as bad being a complete flop and being on all the wrong stuff or just having all your 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 lineups just just bomb. It's almost as bad to get everything right and then have your lineup in, you know, like the wrong contest or whatever. So <laughs> that was that was just pain. Um, but anyways, OK, we're we're getting to the end here, getting to the end of this strategy segment. The um, fluker fail is going to be much shorter today. And then we'll get to a couple of lineup reviews, mine and then uh, two OWS fam members. But before we get there, I just wanted to uh, one final note for this section is a, a word on honest assessment. You know, it's really important that we reflect. And for those of you that do this, that are here listening, that reflect on your own processes, um, so helpful, right? And, you know, fully believe in that. And I'm sure you have started to see, if not seen, how that is beneficial. One thing I think is really important, though, is honestly assessing. And so the quick example I have of this is that in hindsight, on the Thanksgiving slate, I actually really liked how the the Patriots-Vikings game played out. And I thought that it was really sharp that 
somebody may have, you know, for anybody that would have played it that way, you know, saying this game, this game goes to a shootout rather than um, being this kind of slower paced or, you know, New England defense fest. <laughs> um, but while I do feel that did feel that way in hindsight, in no world was I going to play Mac Jones double stacks. Like I just wasn't right. And while I do think that it was something I should have considered for large fields. And I, and again, I, I think that's plus EV because, you know, Minnesota has this, uh, you know, this defense that really hasn't been playing so well. They're, um, you know, they're able to be passed on and, People just generally think that that's not the the way that the Patriots play. Um, the, both these offenses are well. One, one is seasoned and has really strong players. The other one is uh, kind of rough and ready, but they have the ability to 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 play and to go back and forth. So the idea here was, I thought that was kind of sharp. I thought that was really interesting, but it did not make any sense for me to say, man, I knew I should have been on that. What was I thinking? So uh, maybe kind of a weird example to you, but you know, you probably get the big idea of what I'm saying here. And I think most of you are already good at that, but I think just something worth keeping in mind. Okay. Long, long strategy segment today, but I really wanted to uh, share some of that stuff because it was really interesting for me. Like I said, fluke or fail, nice and short today, keeping it short and sweet. Uh, what a weird, weird week. This is, I feel pretty rare, like we see this pretty rarely. Usually we have higher scoring weeks or lower scoring weeks. And while this week was generally lower scoring, we had one guy who made it not that way. So... Only three guys scored over 30 on the main slate this week. We had a handful on um, the on other slates, Thanksgiving and Island games. But on the main slate, we had Zay Jones. We're going to go backwards here. Usually we start with the highest scoring guy and go down, but we're going to go backwards. We've got Zay Jones with a 30.5. Uh, kind of interesting there. He's been one of those guys who's been kind of boomer bust. You know, he's in an offense where he can produce. Trevor Lawrence is, you know, figuring out a way in the Jags offense in general is figuring out a way to score points and play pretty well. Uh, you know, this offense usually supports one really solid wide out play and just seems to kind of alternate between Kirk and Zay Jones so, yeah, you know, nothing really pointed to him being the guy, but at 4,600 in what was yeah, kind of an interesting game environment, um, I don't, you know, it's, it doesn't necessarily feel fluky, but it also wasn't one of those plays that it's like, you should have been on Zay Jones because, yeah, no. Um, so there's that. Next one up, Chris Godwin at 32 points. Yeah, Godwin, uh, interesting play this week. He's been getting, you know, all the volume in this offense still. You know, it's him and Mike Evans and then a smattering of other guys. Obviously, Fournette was out this week. 
And so while, you know, they could clearly play Rashad White, uh, probably a good spot for them to lean on some more veteran guys. So I think, you know, this was a a pretty solid play. I don't think anything's pointed to him specifically, but uh, at 6,000 against Cleveland, which, you know, they've had some defensive issues this year, was, uh, yeah, pretty interesting. So we had these two guys just above 30, just broke the 30 mark. And then we had Mr. Josh Jacobs, the slate breaker. Uh, yeah, like I feel like, you know, we have guys like Tyreek Hill and, um, you know, Christian McCaffrey or Cooper Cup, guys that have this really, really high ceiling and have had these weeks, but it just doesn't feel like we've had this kind of discrepancy. I mean, he scored a full, t- like almost a full 20 points higher than the next highest scoring guy in Chris Godwin on the main slate. That is nuts. Absolutely nuts. Uh, and he was the nuts this week. Like, what an awesome, awesome DFS play. And I really... The, the, now, his 51... A little fluky, right? Like if we're talking about the this exact score, a little fluky in that that game went to overtime and that he busted a long touchdown run. Yeah, so there's that. But even still, he was such a great DFS play because his role has not changed in this offense. Check this out. 33 rushing attempts and seven targets. This guy is one of the only true workhorse backs in the league that has a receiving role, that has an end uh, an end zone, a green zone role, a red zone role. Like he is what we want at running back, and yet we we and the field just don't want to pull the trigger on him. Now he's had a few down weeks, so it makes sense. And obviously the extra caveat this week of him being hurt, which made it an even better play. He was on the late slate, which made it an even better play. Uh, Just, yeah, I mean, incredible play from a DFS standpoint. I think if you played him, that was incredibly sharp. Now, doesn't go the other way. I'm not saying you're not sharp if you didn't play him uh, because there was risk involved. He was at a high price, all that stuff. But from a tournament standpoint, just it really doesn't get any better than that. So, yeah, really, really interesting week. And unlike most others we've seen recently. OK, that's enough with that. There's not too much to get into there. I'm not going to go into uh, Thanksgiving slate here. Just kind of kind of move on to lineup reviews. All right, we're going to go ahead and start with mine. Lineup review here for afternoon slate. Uh, first place in a hundo on DraftKings. The lineup was Justin Herbert, James Conner, Kenneth Walker, DeAndre Carter, Marquise Brown, Josh Palmer, Gerald Everett, Josh Jacobs, Chiefs D. So my thinking was on this afternoon slate, I wanted to focus my play. And again, keep in mind that this is very little thinking involved because it was not a uh, 
a heavy week for me. I kept it pretty light, but the general idea I went in with here was I want to build lineups around this Chargers and Cardinals game where the field's going to be focused on the Raiders-Seahawks game. So as I mentioned before, went with the uh, Herbert triple stack here. So Herbert, Carter, Palmer, and Everett. Uh, kind of a nice hit there with Carter, who had a receiving touchdown. And then I brought it back with James Conner and Marquise Brown. Really liked this combo because it felt like a a relatively low-owned combo here. I knew that most people weren't going to want to play Marquise Brown um, coming back from injury, you know, going to be in a snap count. And then James Conner is kind of the forgotten back, but he has really carved out a role in Arizona when it's like his backfield. He does have a little bit of a receiving role. He managed to have a receiving touchdown there. Um, So I just really liked this kind of block of plays between these two games. And then this is the kind of fun thing with afternoon slates is that if you're going heavy on a game, then all I have left is Kenneth Walker and Josh Jacobs and then Chiefs D. So I just felt like, you know, Kenneth Walker and Josh Jacobs were hands down like the best plays on this slate. Um, You know, if Jacobs played, they just, you know, that's like how those offenses want to run literally and figuratively. And yeah, just kind of a nice um, skinny stack there of these two two backs that are, yeah, just guys that can have really good games. Um, Kenneth Walker actually slightly disappointed in that you know he scored he he got there on two touchdowns and he only totaled like 40 yards um but yeah and then just ate the chalk with chiefs d just felt mispriced and because of the way i built this lineup didn't feel like i needed to differentiate although that's generally where i am looking to differentiate and by the way that lineup scored a 182.26 all right, moving on to a lineup from Stat ATL. We've got Joe Burrow, Josh Jacobs, P. Ryan, T. Higgins, Chris Godwin, Marquez Valdez Scantling, Austin Hooper, Kenneth Walker, and Chiefs D. So I'm actually going to start with the, the running backs here. And we'll, then we'll move to the stack. So kind of a weird way, but but this stuck out to me. Josh Jacobs, P. Ryan, and Kenneth Walker basically chose three backs that just have such a high expectation in terms of opportunity on good offenses in relatively good game environments. I say relatively just because um, Cincinnati, Tennessee didn't set up as a great, great game environment, but P. Ryan's still on a high-powered offense. So... That I noticed right away, and I think is really, really solid to just grab those guaranteed points. Now, granted, most of those came from Jacobs. Those other guys didn't even crack 20, but the strategy feels sharp. Uh, But then, yeah, if we move to stack, we got Joe Burrow. uh, uh, Sorry, real quick. uh, Same same skinny stack there between Kenneth Walker and Josh Jacobs. So I think that that alone is uh, a pretty sweet correlation. Okay, now moving on to Joe Burrow. P. Ryan, 
Higgins bringing it back with Austin Hooper. Yeah, so Austin Hooper's obviously the differentiator there. He was less than 2% owned in this contest. I uh, think interesting just as, you know, people were wanting to play Traylon Burks and knowing that Tennessee would probably have to be throwing here at least a little bit. Uh, just kind of a an off the board, something, something slightly different. Personally, wouldn't be going there myself. Uh, I don't know what Hooper costs, though. I'm, so I'm assuming that would be, you know, is very low and does provide some correlation in this lineup for a low price, which is at a position that is generally a uh, relative dart throw as it is. Uh, you know, and then the, the Bengals pieces make sense, right? You have both floor and ceiling between Burrow, Pirine, and Higgins. Just so, so solid in terms of uh, anchoring your lineup. Then we've got uh, Marcus Valdez-Scantling from the Chiefs and Chiefs D. So just, yeah, two guys on that offense. Um, MVS obviously has a ceiling. He's been pretty hit or miss this year, but getting cheap exposure to a good offense is always viable in tourneys. Chiefs D, again, just kind of superior. Um, Chalk D, but uh, it was a mispriced play this week. And then the final kind of floater here was Chris Godwin, which that one feels, uh, you know, that's a true one off, right? Like there's, there's no correlation to anything here, but um, feels like that was probably the salary that was remaining and it ended up working out because yeah, Godwin with a nice 32 point game. Nice job for steady TL who got 73rd place, uh, and scored a 191.5. And finally, to wrap up the pod, we've got UCB Sharkbait here. Now, this lineup was sent to me, not necessarily for me to review it, um, but shout out, man, because yeah, he sent it to me. We had been chatting a while back. He just kind of mentioned that uh, he appreciated me getting him on the hundos. That was something that was feeling pretty good and had a couple uh, third place finishes. So I was getting up near the top and, you know, kind of like as I've always talked about with these really small field contests is just like really being able to see that you can get near the top and be able like you you start to feel like, oh, I am. I do know my shit. I am a sharp DFS player on my way to being one because you start to see over time that you are consistently placing in the top handful of positions. And so he'd sent me this lineup and said, finally did it. Finally hit that first place. Appreciate the the nudge to go towards the hundos. So this lineup good for a 179 in first place was uh, which, by the way, should quickly mention for any of you that don't know, the hundos are just what they sound like. Hundred person contests on the main slate. Uh, just they're what, like th- one, three, five, ten dollar buy ins or something like that. So just a really awesome low stakes way to get yourself in a small field and really start to be able to realize your edge and see see what you can actually do when you give yourself a chance. You know, when you're constantly entering lineups that are 5,000, 10,000 plus people, uh, it's really, really hard to place first and even come close. And so it's uh, 
tricky to know how sharp you are. So this lineup was Joe Burrow, Kenneth Walker, Rashad White, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Traylon Burks, David Njoku, Josh Jacobs, and Chiefs D. Well, interestingly enough, all of these three lineups didn't sound all that different. Um, So, yeah, we've got Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Dubs, Stack, and the Traylon Burks bring back. I don't even think the Burks bring back was necessary, but it worked, right, in terms of his price and the fact that they were probably going to have to be throwing a little bit, and Burks is just kind of been waiting to have you know a breakout game or at least a better game than he's been having. This worked out really well. Tyler Boyd bombed, but even so, you know, you've got this nice block between Higgins and Boyd here. Um, staying away from P Ryan. So that kind of worked out nicely. And then the running back positions, Kenneth Walker and Rashad White just eating the chalk there. Totally fine because already kind of differentiated with this stack. And then we got Josh Jacobs, the man, in the flex position. Again, he, uh, by the way, 3% in this contest. You know, I already talked up why he was such a good play. Like, just, yeah, crazy <laughs> that he could go 3%. Again, it makes sense why from a rational standpoint. But um, in hindsight, right, it's, it's like, what? Like, what? So, yeah, just a a really sharp play. And, yeah, that was... Oh, David Njoku was the final play there. I think that was sharp to nice correlation with Rashad White. Uh, You know, we talked about him a little bit with him coming back last week after injury. And, by the way, his touchdown was sick. If you didn't see that, his... He just, like, a nasty one-handed grab for a dude his size. Just nuts. Um, and then, yeah, ate the chalk with Chiefs D. So I think what's really interesting to see, I, I actually kind of like that these lineups are relatively similar because you can see that all three of us use chalk defense, which, again, generally is not going to be plus EV, but it worked out this week. Um, chalk running backs worked out. Um, Josh Jacobs wasn't a chalk running back, but he was a running back that has a you know, super solid role and zone role, all that stuff. So yeah, there we go. Lineup reviews. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this week's pod. I am tired. I am hungry. I am going to get out of here. I don't have any Thanksgiving leftovers anymore. Uh, so I'll just have to go find myself a normal snack, but, uh, anyways, thanks for hanging out. Appreciate you guys each and every week, uh, just getting better together. And with that, I will see you next week at the top of the leaderboards. Leaderboards.